Hello and welcome to Living in Exile, a podcast for those who are in the world but not of the world, and in the church but not of the church. AJ Farley and Amanda Hope Haley are your hosts for this podcast. Today's episode, we are discussing Ezra chapter 8, and in today's episode, we'll talk more extensively about the idea of a second exile, about folks who are returning in the second wave to Jerusalem. Well, everybody's getting together, they're organizing themselves, and they realize that there are no Levites in the group, and this is a problem, because the Levites are necessary for the functioning of the Jewish community. They just have certain certain things they're responsible for. You know, basically, there couldn't really be proper worship and prayer along along the journey home without the involvement of, of the Levites, someone of the right uh, bloodline. So they're getting, they're ready to go. They were commanded in chapter 7, it says, on the first day of the first month, Ezra traveled. Well, yes, Ezra traveled, he leaves Babylon, but he's immediately stopped because of this realization. So then it ends up taking about two weeks for them to send a message back into the Jewish community that remains in Persia and say, hey, Levites, we need some of you. And so some Levites come, and then some of their assistants come, and finally everything's okay, but they're they're about two weeks late getting started. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where we are. That's, uh, of course, as a modern listener or modern reader, this is just, it's just ridiculous to us to envision this notion of people saying, you know, we're all gathered up together, and wait, we don't have a representative of God along with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have someone to carry out. Not ridiculous, that's probably a harsh word. Mm-hmm. But uh, so often we as modern readers, we come we come across this and we think, huh, those folks really were serious about their, about their religious faith. Maybe a little bit more serious than we are these days. Maybe they take this thing a little bit more a little bit more seriously than we do. Obviously they did, because the fact that they didn't have someone there to carry out priestly responsibilities was a deal breaker as far as this trip was going to go. Absolutely. And as you get a little bit farther into the chapter, you we kind of learn why Ezra was so worried about this. It comes, he's, Ezra's, it's first person here. He's telling the story and he reveals, let's see, beginning in the paragraph of verse 21, that when he went to Artaxerxes, he did not request like a, a royal guard to accompany them to protect this group of people crossing the desert. We don't, ex- or well, basically crossing through Iraq. If you want to think about Babylon as kind of being in Iran, and then of course Jerusalem being where it is today, uh-huh. you know, they're kind of going across Iraq. That's a rough way to think of it. Well, obviously there are all sorts of dangers out there. The biggest one being just tribes of people who could attack them and steal the massive amounts of silver and gold that they're carrying. Hmm. Well, Ezra, because he had spent so much time praising God in front of Artaxerxes, felt that he couldn't say, oh, by the way, we need your swords and your camels and all of that to protect us along the way, because Mm -hmm. that would basically take the teeth out of the statement that God could protect them. Mm-hmm. So he he kind of has a little bit of a right to be worried right there at the beginning when immediately something goes wrong. You know, he's questioning himself. Did I do the wrong thing? Should I have asked, you know, for help? 
help from Artaxerxes for this. Is God going to take care of me? Well, let's make sure we have the Levites, and let's make sure that we're talking to God properly every single day, <laughs> just as uh-huh. you know, just to make sure we have His favor along the way. Yeah, and and you can imagine, you can sort of see the wheels turning for Ezra there. The whole idea of I, uh, I, I, I'm embarrassed now to go back to the king after I have made you know, my God's praise such a big part of my interaction with him mm-hmm. for me to go back then and say, I need your muscle mm-hmm. seems like, uh, seems like going back on that. It seems like something that Ezra would be obviously very reluctant to do. Absolutely. And, you know, maybe on the flip side of that too, just looking at it from exactly the opposite angle, Ezra comes and he's ready to go. He hasn't asked for, he hasn't asked for help because he has all his confidence in God, and then none of the people who are closest to God show up. I mean, he may have even been taking that as, I mean, as an indication that something was wrong. It just it started to make him worry. I think that's mm-hmm. completely understandable. So not only does he collect them, but then you know he goes on to make sure that everyone in the caravan fasts. Um, and fasting was hugely popular um, or became popular during the exile. Because there was this idea that God shows particular care for the afflicted people. So if you were fasting, you know, not only you know, were you depriving yourself of focusing on God and doing all the proper spiritual things, but you also were becoming physically weak. And you know, there's the idea that God is more likely to help those who are physically weakened. So mm. it works on two levels. Pick up the story there for us. They return in chapter 9. They mm-hmm. are sort of unpacking. They're, in, they're back in Jerusalem now. They're, they're making their offerings. They're beginning to get settled. And the Jewish mm-hmm. leaders address the folks of Israel who have returned and, and tell the story for us there. Well, Ezra, when Ezra came back to Jerusalem, he had basically four things that he had to do for Artaxerxes. Two had to do with the temple and religion, and two had to do with legal, the way things, the way things were being governed. And so he has arrived on the scene. Everyone's aware that he, although not maybe technically is a governor representing Artaxerxes, there's a general knowledge that what he is doing has been allowed by the throne. And so these Jewish leaders come to him and say, you know, look, we're actually having a pretty big problem here. Mm-hmm. And the, basically what has happened is since that first return, you know, 50, 60, well, 50 years since it was finished. Let's say, let's say two generations earlier. <laughs> let's leave it uh, vague. That's um, round, round vague numbers. Yeah, that's, something that's like really that. really what I'm most comfortable with, honestly. It's <laughs> Without flipping back and counting. Um, but uh, anyway, the, the, the people who are leaders in Jerusalem at the time come to him and say, ever since we've moved back here, basically we have not done a good job of keeping ourselves holy and set apart. And we have started marrying into other groups of people who do not worship God. This, from a historical perspective, is not really surprising because when a conqueror, an emperor, came in and destroyed a place, he took people out of that place and sent them all over the rest of the empire to live in other places. So that happened in Jerusalem. The people were pulled out. But on the flip side, you know, when they when they conquered Assyria, when they conquered Egypt, when they conquered different places around Judah, 
people from those areas, some of them, were sent into Jerusalem. And Absolutely. so you have this melting pot going on in Jerusalem. And until this point in the Bible, we've really only been talking about the, the, the worshipers of God who were there. But right. there's a fair number of, I guess, foreigners Mm-hmm. who were living mm-hmm. there as well. Well, naturally, um, people meet each other, and you marry your next-door neighbor. I mean, it happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that has happened here. That is not the problem, though. They spend a lot of time talking about exactly who they have married, but that is not the problem. The problem is that once these marriages started happening and these people from different cultures started cohabitating, the people who previously had worshipped the Eternal One started turning away from him and from those practices and following the practices of the people that they married. And that is the problem, is that people have fallen away from pure worship of God. They are no longer holy and set apart. So I want to make sure I'm understanding what you're saying there. Mm-hmm. Folks are intermarrying, and yes. at least in, in this context, there was no prohibition against intermarriage. Mm-hmm. There was no prohibition that said you should not marry. Now, in other places in the Old Testament, we did have that. Did not have. exactly. Okay. Right. Um, scripturally, um, when you go to the laws, no, there is no reason. It, it, it is not... It, 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 yeah, it's not said, do not do it because it is a sin. Anytime that it is mentioned, mm-hmm. it is tacked on that it has to do with, with the worship of God. And in fact, we see the exact opposite happening previously in the Old Testament. Probably the classic example is Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess. Ruth married Boaz, who was a man of God. There was nothing wrong with that marriage because Ruth converted to Boaz's religion. Right. Or, well, she had previously converted to Naomi's. But the point is, the right. marriage was not the problem because the pagan started worshiping the Eternal One. And Ruth, Ruth had the pagan driven out of her by she, Naomi. <laughs> Mother-in-laws are powerful individuals. <laughs> and I'll just let your statement sit right there. That's perfectly fine for you to say just that. And I, I believe it alone. And I... I believe I've said it before. I adore my mother-in-law. In fact, I had a fabulous conversation with her last night. She's an awesome woman. Absolutely. Um, we yes, all adore so. our mother-in-laws. That's nobody Absolutely. ever has problems with their mothers-in-law. So, so we'll just say yeah, that. that's right. <laughs> I, I, I honestly never have, <laughs> which is which is uh, which bucks the stereotype, but it really is true in my case. Yeah. Um, so you have this this example of a marriage happening and it being good, but that is clearly the exception to the rule in literature. And probably the classic bad example would be uh, King Ahab. He was the king of the northern kingdom um, mm-hmm. after Israel had divided into northern and southern kingdoms. He married Jezebel, and he did a complete 180 and mm-hmm. dropped the turtle entirely and completely embraced her pagan religion. And that you know largely was what ultimately caused the fall of the northern kingdom entirely so again it wasn't that marriage it was the fact that he turned same thing could be said about Solomon Solomon married all these foreign wives hmm. and at the end of his life Solomon lost his wisdom it wasn't because of the marriages it was because he was so continually tempted to uh, to, to vary from proper worship of the eternal one hmm. That, that that happened. It wasn't the marriage itself. 
Right. So it's not as if it's not as if Naomi was in sin just by her existence. It's not as, or excuse me, Naomi, Ruth. It's not as if Ruth was. It's not as as if being a Canaanite was um, a sin in and of itself. No. The fact that someone was a Canaanite meant that they would be uh, more likely to be a pagan worshiper. In fact, almost exclusively likely to be a pagan worshiper. That they would. Um, not recognize the true God, that they would not be drawn to him necessarily except through exposure to those who were uh, who were Jewish, who were practicing true faith. Mm -hmm. That would have been attractive to folks who got close to them, which is exactly what happened in Ruth's case, which is yes. exactly what happened in some of the other cases that we're familiar with in Scripture. Yes. But in and of itself, there was nothing inherently wrong with those folks being born into the families that they were. It was just that as members of those families, they were going to be most likely not worshipers of the true God. Mm -hmm. And if you carry that then into a marriage with someone who is Jewish, someone who is a follower of the true God, things are going to tend to get messy, just like they do in marriages today. If you have someone who marriages, who marriages, <laughs> if you have someone who marries uh, <laughs> someone outside their faith, you know, mm -hmm. then you have to, then there are issues. How are we going to, how are we going to worship within our home? Will there be worship in our home? How are we going to raise our children? What sort of religious tradition will we raise them in? Right. And, and couples struggle with that, you know, today there are yeah. couples who struggle with that kind of thing. So, Well, so the, just to hit it again, the Old Testament doesn't say it's wrong to do that intermarrying. The Old Testament, the Old Testament strongly cautions against it because hmm. of what more often than not is, is the spiritual result of a union like that. Mm -hmm. See, and that makes me think the, the New Testament parallel in the book of 1 Corinthians, it talks about how we have... Um, all things are lawful to us as followers of Christ. We have liberty. All things are lawful to us, but not necessarily are all things beneficial to us. All things yeah. are available to us, but not all things lead to better outcomes for us. And so, in essence, what's being said here is the same thing that parents have been telling their children and grandparents have been telling their grandkids since the beginning of time. You make choices and the choices that you make affect the outcomes that you experience. And when you make choices that maybe have questionable outcomes as possibilities, you may have to be prepared to suffer some negative consequences for those outcomes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But there's nothing new here. Just as we've, we've already referenced Solomon, there's nothing new under the sun here. There's When you marry someone from outside your faith, there will be problems that are associated with that, just period. I'm not saying it's wrong. not saying it's... Not saying that it's um, even necessarily not advisable. You love who you love, but understand that there will be consequences for that. Yeah. How do we how do we differentiate between that which is good in cultures coming together, and and especially when we think in terms of welcoming the outsider and in you know generosity and in loving those that we maybe would be fearful of otherwise. Especially those who are avowed to be our enemies. I think mm -hmm. you know America these days. We think in terms of the rest of the world being basically not friendly to us, and thinking mm -hmm. and we think of them as our enemies. So how do we love those folks, and yet maintain the kind of 
purity that we understand our faith to require. Well, I, I mean, I think it probably all goes back to your connection with the Holy Spirit. Because, I mean, Jesus talked about loving your enemies, and Jesus, you know, mixed with Samaritans and, you know, people of, of, of other backgrounds. And as Questionable long as, character. And yeah, absolutely. Kind of I mean, so as long as your focus is always on God, you, I think, to some degree have to trust that he will be there when when problems arise he's going to guide you you know to the right decision there have been times in my life when i've been in sticky situations and i've you know, mentally thrown up my hands and said god i don't know what to say here and i have been so blessed that the stuff that came out of my mouth you know certainly didn't come out of my brain um, and that's that's <laughs> that happens to me all the time that's funny. <laughs> okay all right but i didn't mean it like that <laughs> I did not mean it like that. You know what I meant. <laughs> no, no. No, it's, it's certainly the Holy so. Spirit empowers us to say the right things at the right time and those kind of situations. Yeah. And so, so as you're mixing with people, you know, in America, you know, with all these different cultures, you know, as long as you're a servant of God first, Mm -hmm. I mean, you're going to see the red flags you know, where where they are. I mean, I think he's going to kind of take care of that for us. Right, right. And a lot of what I, you know, I mean, in in our world today, we see the rise of nationalist tendencies coming back. Mm -hmm. As the as the world has had sort of the economic struggles that we have mm -hmm. in in Germany, you see, uh, you see neo-Nazi folks sort of coming back to the surface again, these skinhead type folks who were concerned about ethnic purity and that sort of thing. You see the same thing in Greece. You see the same thing in lots of the different European countries where their economies have just desperately struggled. Mm -hmm. And so I think about xenophobia and I think about some of the things, and to a certain extent I would even go so far as to say some of the border issues that we are really expressing concern about here in the United States have to do with that idea of we need to protect what's ours from those people who want to take it away from us mm -hmm. and you know so we put up these we put up these walls that in my mind don't really need to exist mm -hmm. if we're all in this thing together you know we I mean a great example of that is I mean is this right here in Ezra it was not illegal for people to have mixed marriages it there but the community as a whole sort of started creating these laws okay that no it was not illegal scripturally um, but because it was such a massive temptation, sometimes mm -hmm. it's easier to, you know, set up a wall and say, don't go beyond this point. You know, mm -hmm. don't tempt yourself to leave God by marrying mm -hmm. someone who is other, of another race. I think there's a certain value in that. Um, okay. However, if that's taken too far, you end up with legalism and you end up with, you know, Christian traditions saying you cannot dance, you cannot drink, you cannot do all these things, and you end up worshiping the law as opposed to the God who brought us here. Uh. So there's a fine line. I mean, I, I think I think certain boundaries have value, but we need to respect what God says and not the artificial boundary that we've put up. Right, right. So the idea there of of going back to what was actually in the law rather than what was what was erected as part of the of the barrier there. So Absolutely. 
you know, and and that was one of the things that the, you know the Pharisees and the scribes later on came along and put all these weight, all this weight on people who were unable to carry out the law, mm-hmm. much less carry out the additional added weight that the Pharisees placed upon them. Absolutely. And so, you know, that's and in essence, that's the heart of religion. That's mm-hmm. the heart of us. We are attempting through our behaviors and through our added exertions to somehow please this God that we're convinced is angry with us, and um, and so we're we're doing everything that we can to sort of win His affection by our by us not just obeying His law but trying our best to even go beyond what His law would require. Right. Somehow we think that that's going to please Him as it, as if He's you know immensely angry with us. And as if we could save ourselves. Which yeah, exactly. Is, as if, as yeah, if we yeah, somehow completely could, contrary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As if we could somehow be that good. Yeah. Uh, so. You know, I think it's instructive to look at just the sheer volume of literature. So you you look at the Bible and compare that to, I mean, probably the millions of volumes of books that have been written by people about the Bible. And how many individuals are there out there who spend so much time reading all of the commentary and reading all of the devotionals and never bother to actually open up the Bible? They spend so much time on mm-hmm. other people's interpretations of the scripture. Mm-hmm. Same thing was going on in the first century. There is so much more um, Jewish literature about the Old Testament than the text of the Old Testament. It's called Midrash. There, mm-hmm. I mean, just volumes and volumes of Midrash. It's, it's probably fair to say for every word in the Bible, there's a thousand words you know, of Midrash or of, you know, in our case, exegesis or devotional material or something like that on top of it. And, you know, I I find that as I'm starting to produce some of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> now that I am a Midrash producer. Yeah. A, I feel a little bit hypocritical. Hmm. But B, um, I find it's personally instructive for me to do that. And every, we, we had these conversations trying to understand what the scripture is saying. That is good. But when the conversations turn, and instead of debating the Bible, you're debating what Calvin said, or what Wesley said, or you spend more time worrying about what the theologians said than what's actually in the text, then you've taken it too far. Mm, Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, And it's frustrating to me to think in terms of in terms of being a speaker, mm-hmm. how many times folks pay so much more attention to what I'm saying in the sermon than they do on the than they focus attention on the actual text itself. Mm-hmm. The best thing that any, in essence, Amanda and I are you know creating this podcast, and to a certain extent, we're just providing commentary. Yes. Every sermon that you hear is simply providing commentary. Every right. book that's ever been written about the Scripture or about the Old Testament by you know the Jew- the Jewish scholars is simply providing commentary, and it's always, always, always secondary mm-hmm. to that which is living and active in the Scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing that I say today or ever is living and active. My words are not going to live beyond what, you know, the breath that I have in my lungs. And even if they do, 
they're dead along with me when I die. Folks That's might right. be able to, you know, might be able to read them, might be able to take some instruction from them, but God's word lives forever. God's right. words is set apart in a way that's unique and special and dare I say holy in a way yes. that we don't understand and that we're trying our best to sort of work through and take hold of and figure out along the way. Mm -hmm. And so Amanda's commentary is going to be wonderful, but it's at the end of the day just going to be commentary. Absolutely. Anything that I say or write is just going to be commentary, just like any big name preacher that you can name or any youth pastor that you had when you were a kid or your parents or whomever, the scripture is the thing. Yeah. <laughs> and the relationship that it speaks of with an eternal God is the thing. Yes. And so, it, so. it makes me very sad when I hear people identifying themselves as, you know, I'm a Calvinist, I'm a Wesleyan, I'm a Lutheran, not the denomination, mm -hmm. but I mean, they... They follow the words of someone who was talking about the Bible instead of the Bible itself. And I, I mean, I doubt that's the intention, but that's certainly what comes across. It, it makes me crazy that people will sit down and, you know, spend weeks arguing back and forth about whether or not. Calvin was completely right. Do we line up with everything that he said? Well, if you disagree with Calvin, then you're wrong. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with Calvin. It has to do with the scripture. And that was his commentary on it, his interpretation. And I bet that he wouldn't want denominations and groups of people splitting over his words. That wasn't Absolutely. why he wrote that. He wrote, it, he wrote it to edify the body, not to split it. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I'm sorry, I got up on a soapbox there. It just no, it makes me so sad that people get I don't, like starstruck, I guess, by a cult of personality. And it may be someone who is living and active today, or it may be somebody who died 500 years ago. But it, it's about God. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you got to remember, you got to focus on God. Yeah. And in essence, each one of us needs to be living out our own commentary on the scripture as we're yeah. led by the Holy Spirit. Not to say that Calvin didn't have didn't have obviously some wonderful insight. Not to say that John Wesley or right, no, uh, no, or, I'm not saying that at all. Or Arminius, or you know, whomever you can name, Immanuel Kant, Paul Tillich, you know, the world without end. Let's yeah. you can go back Kierkegaard. to those folks. I mean, Kierkegaard, yeah, yeah. 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 The granddaddy. <laughs> so, so you can you can go back to these to these folks and take take their understanding of theology and their understanding of apologetics and and uh, and absolutely you know study those absolutely glean the the insights that they have to offer. But at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you through the pages of Scripture in a way that trumps every bit of that knowledge and learning and understanding that folks have. And in essence, we need to be living out our own commentary on the Scripture. We need to be living out our own understanding of these things. Yes. Now, <laughs> now that being said, you can, you can go too far that direction. You can True. You know, you can be you can be living out in the in the woods by yourself, you know, hearing God's voice in every breeze that blows, and you can come to some very crazy notions doing that sort of thing. So all of this is set to be happening in the context of our community. Yes. And in the context of God's people living together and trying to work this thing out, coming back these little pockets of exile like you mentioned earlier on. So I mean all, you know, Take everything that's said with a grain of salt, but also swallow the salt. Don't just don't just swallow the 
don't just swallow the, uh, you know, don't swallow take the someone. Morsel. Yeah, exactly. Don't right, just take. Yeah. Don't just take someone's someone else's uh, take on the gospel as the only correct take on the gospel. Mm-hmm. Understand that the gospel speaks for itself. Yes. And it and that you know what we're saying, what we're saying can either add light or or darkness to it depending on how you yeah. agree with what we're saying. Well, and I would even dare to say that if you and I come back and listen to this podcast five years from now, there's going to be something that we have said today that we're probably going to disagree about. Yeah, disagree with ourselves about Certainly. because yeah. I, as I learned that the scripture is dynamic and as I learn more, you know, I see errors in my thinking before or I understand something differently or I even simply prioritize things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't yeah. remember if, if I've said this to you before or if I've mentioned this in a previous podcast, but I, I used to be someone who wrote pretty vigorously in the, in the pages of my Bible. Mm-hmm. So I would be a guy who would take notes in the in the margins and that sort of thing. And uh, I had one particular Bible that I used all through my college years and through my early 20s and into my 30s that just I, – I just beat it up. I mean it's got duct tape now on the cover and that kind of thing. And so um, – Many times now, I'm finding myself going back and having to like I'll I'll read a passage from that Bible and I'll draw a line through some commentary that I wrote to myself 20 years ago because I was an idiot 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so I have to draw a line through something because I made this bold pronouncement about some character of God that's not even accurate, not even yeah. not even you know, not even biblical. And here I am writing it alongside the words on the pages of scripture. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I'm often going to disagree with myself. In fact, I would go so far as to say, if you're not doing that, you're not growing. I would agree. If you don't look back at things that you said five or 10 years ago with regret or two minutes ago, (laughs) as the case (laughs) may be with regret, then how have you grown in those, in those last five, 10, two years? 20 minutes. <laughs> it's true. So, it's true. Yeah. Um, it's funny to hear you say that about writing in the margin because AJ started the most wonderful program at our church, which he says he got the idea from somewhere else, but I don't know where. So to me, it's AJ's idea where, um, let's say, older, I didn't call myself old, older members of the church adopt a Bible for a year or two and write notes in it and take notes in the margin and then give that Bible to a graduating senior. Um, so I'm working on my second one now. And the first one, um, I, you know, I kept it for a couple of years. Well, right before it was time for me to give it to the girl I gave it to, I went into the back and like I basically wrote a little letter that was like, this is where I was when I wrote all of this. And if you, it, it was like a huge disclaimer. Like this is what was going in my, on in my life. This is how I grew during these years. But if you ever run across something that looks questionable, let me know. And I went so far as to color code the Bible. This is just the way my brain works. Um, if it was in green, then it was a message I heard in church, and I would say who it was. If it was blue, then it was my personal thoughts. You know, if it was this color. It was anyway. I color coded things so that, like, if you see something written in green, that means that was my idea, and so you might want to evaluate it. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you take that one with a really significant grain of salt, like a block of salt. 
Hmm. But well, I mean, it's instructive. I think it's a great program for for those kids. And you know, she she knows me now, and she'll see how I grow and change. And you know, maybe she can look back on some of these comments I wrote in her Bible and kind of laugh and you know see God ha- see, have concrete evidence of, of of how God has changed me. Hmm. Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. Of course, I know the uh, the you know folks that are involved in this thing. And one of the one of the um, one of the hesitations that a lot of folks have as they volunteer for this program is, I'm not a Bible scholar. I'm not a, I'm not somebody who can really add all that much insight uh, to this person's reading of Scripture by me writing little comments on the side or whatever. And I and I just am loath to encourage people. Look, I'm not asking you to be a Bible scholar. I'm asking you to be yourself. I'm asking yeah. you to be the saint that you are right now today. And and you and you certainly will disagree with yourself on down the road. You you may you may get together with this young lady five years, ten years down the road, and she may show you some passage, and you said you said this. Now, what did you mean by that? And you may say, Yeah, I didn't mean that, or I you know I, I don't no know idea. what I was I, yeah, or I don't know what I was <laughs> saying there. But that uh, just the fact that that conversation can take place yeah. is just a wonderful, glorious thing that Absolutely. wouldn't happen if we hadn't put this Bible in your hands. So. Yeah. Fuller well, it's Youth an awesome Institute. Program. Fuller Youth Institute. It's all their deal. Um, okay. <laughs> it's, okay. It's Kara Powell. It's Sticky Faith. It's awesome. And if that's mm-hmm. if that's my plug for Kara Powell and Sticky Faith, and and uh, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a name uh, blank and Brad, Brad something Gilbert. I think is the other guy's name, but that doesn't sound right as I'm saying it. Anyway, Fuller Youth Institute. They have just incredible ideas for faith formation for kids and I just think that stuff's awesome so we've gone way far away from Ezra but I but we've (laughs) we've we've gotten to where we are in this very logical course coming out of Ezra so um, so Ezra is uh, is addressing the concerns that are being brought to him by the leaders of of Israel Mm -hmm. being brought to him by the folks that are in Jerusalem once they return and so as Amanda said, we're not going to get into the solutions that were provided. Those are going to be what we talk about in our next podcast. And frankly, it's going to be difficult material for us to go through. Yep. Uh, so we have that to look forward to. We're just kind of leave that. We're going to leave that unfinished for today. Yeah. Uh, give us give us some idea of good news for the exile coming out of this talk today, Amanda. You know, no matter how much we may bumble our plans the way it could be argued that Ezra did. God is going to be there to protect us and support us. Um, That, you know, that the simple idea of this trip, the simple idea these people could return from exile and um, the fact of its success is pure evidence of God's grace. And, you know, and it comes, it comes through humans in this particular instance and not in spite of humans. So it's nice to know that God can work through us and not always just in spite of us. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But um, the idea of Ezra beginning the trip or gathering the folks to begin the trip, Mm -hmm. not having had all of his ducks in a row. It's like he's yeah. gathering everybody together, and then it dawns on him, oh, hey, we don't have any Levites here. Right. That's kind of a big deal for us to have those folks mm-hmm. you know, here and ready to do our thing. Or we don't have all the rest of our protection uh, lined up, and that's a, 
that's a bad thing. Well, it is. And there are times when yeah. we're going to suffer negative consequences for those things, but we serve a God who is much bigger than the concerns that we have and the, and the, the things that we leave out sometimes. Mm-hmm. He had it all under control from the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. like we were saying, whether he defeated en- enemies or he never allowed enemies to come into contact with them. Either way, you know, he was in Very charge good. there. Very good. All right. Remind us again what we're going to be looking at next week. We've touched on it just a little bit. We have. Next week, I think we're actually, we'll probably start with like chapter 9, verse 3, and then just kind of go through the end of uh, go through the end of Ezra. So we're, we're going to be talking about these mixed marriages and, and how the community elected to deal with that. You can find Amanda Hope Haley at her website, amandahopehaley.com. You can find A.J. Farley in his blog, wornoutbibles.blogspot.com. Both of us are also available on various social media platforms. Unless otherwise noted, scripture quotations are taken from The Voice. Copyright 2008 and 2009, Ecclesia Bible Society. Thanks for listening.